0: Hello and welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. This is our first episode of 2020, overall episode 173. My name is Vala Afshar, I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. I just saw him on a cover of a magazine calling him the top Silicon Valley insider. So (laughs) kudos to you being on a cover of a magazine. He's a global sought after keynote speaker and one of the most influential people you'll find on Twitter at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome Ray Wong to 2020 episode one, of disrupt TV.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, welcome to my awesome co-host, Bala Ashtar. We are in the next decade. And more importantly, Bala is one of the top followers on Twitter. He's top for CMOs, top for CIOs, top for life advice now. Also on Bloomberg Networks, also a writer himself, and uh, now probably a person on a provisional patent. I guess we'll talk more about that one day. But, anyways, yeah, so we're not here to talk about ourselves, we're here to talk about what's hot, who's hot, what's going on, and who's better than who do we have next to kick off the decade?
0: We are so lucky to kick off the decade with a repeat guest, a returning guest, Mike Allen, CEO of Unit 4. Mike is a CEO, he's an investor, builder of world-class teams, champion of diversity and continuous learning. And he's passionate about teaching people, including Ray and I. Uh, The last time Mike was on our show was in August, 2016. That was the first year we launched Disrupt TV. He was on episode 27. And at that time, was president of SAP Success Factors. From his first leadership role, a role as a Boy Scout to executive position in the tech industry, Mike's career has revolved around elevating, engaging, and enabling people. That's why we love having him on Disrupt TV. Mike joined Unifor to get the market excited about their unique approach to enterprise. Unifor is building systems that change how people experience work. And Mike and many people believe this impact will be huge. We're going to learn about that on the show. You can follow Mike and all his wisdom and all his learning and giving on Twitter at Mike M-I-K-E-E-T-T-L-I-N-G. Welcome back, Mike, to The Shop TV.
2: Great. It's great to be here, and welcome to the Roaring Twenties. Get your, get
1: your two-tones out. Two-tones are back. <laughs> two-tones are back. So, But hey, you know, we really wanted to get you back here. Um, I think what's important is that you've taken on a significant role. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about that, why you took on this role. Um, it's a company that I've been following for, I, I want to say, 20 years, but not everybody has known who they are. Um, so why the CEO opportunity? And, you know, what are your original expectations? Yeah, so,
2: <clears throat> you know, having come out of the HR tech industry where I kind of built a, a reputation, hopefully more good than bad, mm-hmm. and um, thinking about what I was going to do next, you know, there's a lot of ERP companies around, there's a lot of software companies around. But what really struck me about Unit 4 was it's, it's kind of its slogan, which was very simple, it is in business for people. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> and then you started digging into it, and you start realizing that the ERP for manufacturing and ERP for people-based businesses is actually quite fundamentally different. When your when your R in ERP, i.e., your resource, is actually a P, a person, and not a yep. widget or something else, how you think about building the software, how you do it, is um, you know totally, totally different. So I thought, Hey, this could be really different. This could be really interesting. This is a really nice crossover between the HR tech HCM world Mm. and the uh, ERP world. And that got me excited about it. It really, really got me interested in it. Um, So I took on the role, uh, you know, discovered a company which was was one of the best keeps kept secrets in the industry. you know, how you run a run a software company today without a CMO was astounding. And they had not had a CMO for, you know, almost three years. We've now got a great CMO. Um, and what I also discovered was incredible tech. So, you know, I, I came up with this description. This this company is a great steak with no sizzle. Um, <laughs> and... You know, when you go into a good restaurant, actually it's the sizzle and the smell which hits you first and then Mm -hmm. you really want to eat the steak. Um, The product is amazing. You know, the product has been microservice, it's digitized, it's truly multi-tenant. We've really done amazing things on the product and we've kept all of our functionality we've been building over the last 40 years. So, you know, when you look at this landscape and you look at who is really playing in people-based erp there's only a few players and we one of them and it's super exciting to be in the space
1: that's true yeah no i mean you guys have been uh you know you've been, um for those who haven't been following for a while i mean you guys have uh, pioneered a lot of things for governments for people for professional services in a way that um, most people might not have heard of you and it was very interesting so when you had joined i was very uh, surprised and i was very excited so it's kind of one of the things where it's like great product no marketing much better than great marketing no product right or no marketing no product right yeah and so so it's uh, i thought it was an awesome opportunity for you so
0: That's
2: you know good. and, and I, I can really get that balance right because having I mean, been in the in the services world and the software world you know in the services world you always build the product first and you sell what you can deliver and in the software world you're always selling the vision and selling the fantasy and the product follows You know, I'm very fortunate now to have a great marketing. We've rebranded the company. We've repositioned it and, you know, to have great product. And in fact, we've we've decided to redefine ERP because, you know, everyone thinks of ERP in the traditional sense. We've come up with a new name for ERP and what it stands for. And it's simply experience real purpose Hmm. because that's fundamentally what ERP software needs to do for you. As, an, as a people based organization.
0: That's terrific. Yeah, it was Peter Drucker who said, you know, in any successful company, you need innovation and marketing. So it's great to see that you have both of those in place. Give advice to, you know, you're, you've been a senior executive multiple times in really big companies, and now you're a CEO. Advice to, you know, what you've learned, what some of the challenges have been, being the top, you know, the top, top leader or CEO of a company, and you know, how you approached you know, leading an entire organization was there a different mindset or different approach from being a president in a large company to to now CEO.
2: So you know, one of the things which has been unique in my career is I have deliberately flip-flopped between large company president and sort of CEO of mid-sized company, and that kind of trajectory in my career has served me well. Um, big companies like people who actually understand how cash flow works, and <laughs> not just born in ivory towers, you know. And mid-market private equity-based companies like people who understand, had some experience of what good can look like mm-hmm. at large scale. So, but I would say my philosophy, regardless of of the type of role, has been very simple, and it's that really in business as a leader, you've only got two levers to pull. And it's not that complex. And the two levers are people and money, finance and people. And if you figure out how to pull those levers and, and use those levers, you can be very successful. Um, so building, I'm a great believer in what I call the holy trio. So the, the relationship between the CFO, the CHRO and the CEO is fundamental. If you don't get that right from the start and you don't have that working relationship, um, the chances of success are significantly lower. And then I would say, and this is quite interesting, when I talk to CEOs at different forums and we kind of talk about what would we have done differently in the last gig or whatever. I think the thing, and I think it is so true, which is absolutely the most common topic which comes up is I never move fast enough on people issues. Mm. I never trusted my gut on people issues you know there's a tendency to always get into oh that's a good guy we'll see give him an extra chance trust your gut on people issues make the changes make the moves
1: do you do it right I, away
2: or do you wait you do it right away you you think you can you do it right away i rebuilt my team in the first 4 months
1: wow and joined so in the wait beginning or- of
2: april at the end of October, I had hired my last person for my team, which was a global head of ecosystems. But I had a point of view, and this is the beauty of going into a private equity business: you, you get inundated with data more than you ever get. You know, sure. you arrive as a president of of a big division in a company, and it's day one. You go figure it out. You're, you know, one of the things. Other advice I'd give CEOs is. When you join a private equity company, get them to pay you from when you sign, not from when you start. Because believe me, you're going to work from when you sign,
1: figuring it that out. That's probably the best advice. I've heard. So
2: you, you know you have so much data. So you come in with a point of view. You come in with a clear point of view. And the days of the first hundred day approach to being a CA, CEO is they're gone. Yeah. Um, I came in with a thirty day cycle type approach. You know, I had a point of view. And I gave myself 30 days to validate the point of view and execute on the stuff. And then the next 30 days wave of stuff I wanted to do. And it was all about getting in, doing enough to validate and execute, then taking the next cycle of stuff, doing enough to validate and executing. So I, you know, and in a private equity world that, um, you know, they, they call it private equity clock speed is very different to corporate (laughs) clock speed um so you have to you know you have to adapt to that but but the single most important thing is get the people in finance right get the holy trio in place and move fast on the team and trust your gut on the team
1: (laughs) no great advice there now you know one of the areas i'm really excited about and and it's something i've been following for the last two decades is cloud erp Right and this evolution from ERP to cloud ERP to start there. Um, but, but where are we? What's the state? Are people moving? Are they moving their finance systems? Is it the HR? Do projects get people excited? Right? Or is it just kind of like, uh, yeah, we'll just let this thing sit here for a little bit and wait, wait it out a little bit longer? So.
2: Yeah, I think cloud is probably the most abused word of the last uh, <laughs> uh, decade. You know, if I was God right now, I'd be very offended as to how people have abused <laughs> the term cloud, um, because, you know, what is cloud to, so one person is, is cloud to either, and, and I think, you know, the creativity in, in the, the tech industry about how we could account and what we can count as cloud is also off the charts. You know, it's kind of in the Enron League of uh, creativity sometimes.
1: Creativity um,
2: with purpose. <laughs> creativity with, yeah. With prison so, terms. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You know, cloud, I've always said that if you look at cloud from the perspective of a customer, why should people go to cloud? Because that's fundamentally the most important reason. Well, you don't want to be, if you are a business today, you don't want to be managing infrastructure. You don't want to be managing some of the things which in the old days you had to do. More importantly, the pace of digitization and the pace of innovation is so rapid That you have to figure out how to get on that train. Um, You know, the days of, well, I'm gonna do something and that's gonna last me for five years are gone. If you take that approach, your business will go backwards. So the whole thing about cloud for me is about the innovation it can deliver, the pace at which you can absorb that innovation and consume that innovation. So, you know, turn it the other way around now from a vendor perspective, what should vendors be doing in terms about cloud? Well they have to be able to figure out how to deliver that and how to do that and it's not just also, it's not just about creating innovation which lots of vendors are very good at it's also about creating consumable innovation hmm. which lots of vendors are very bad at um, you know so every you know you talk to all vendors and CTOs and they, they say "Oh our holy grail we want to get to continuous releasing." And then you go talk to customers and they say, oh, we can't consume all this. You know, it's like having a fire hose. We just can't consume it. And I think we have to do a lot more in the ERP industry around how do we actually create consumable innovation to do that. So, you know, a lot of uh, analysts love to get into the, the debate over true multi-tenancy or not true multi-tenancy, etc. which I think is really important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Why is it important? Because it it is It is a tool, it is one tool of others, which can enable consumable innovation. You know, real-time consumable innovation. Um, There's other tools in terms of how you can deliver model companies or model deployments, um, which also enable that. And a lot of the tools around the core software you deliver as a vendor these days, is tools for how clients can manage their environments, manage Um, adoption, manage their user um, sort of feel and how they get used to the system and train on it are equally important to the core application.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think
2: vendors have to think way broader now. You know, I have this thing that, is this consumable innovation? That's cool. When my product guys come with things, that's cool. How's my customer going to consume it? And Mm -hmm. tell me how they actually get it in their hands and use it. I think if we start putting that lens on, then we start thinking very differently about cloud.
0: Sure, sure. There's no question when you over time graph the usage of technology with our customers and the uh, new enhancements and features, those curves continue to diverge and that consumption gap continues to widen. So, you know, finding a way to reduce that consumption gap with consumable innovation absolutely has an impact on, on the user experience. So let's talk about people experience. What is it? And how has it changed in, in the last few years?
2: Yeah, so I think you know this is a really interesting place where we're positioning and where we're really focused on. <clears throat> you know, If you Google the expression employee experience today, you're just going to get bombarded with enormous amounts of hits. Mm-hmm. And every analyst, every person is writing on employee experience and the importance of employee experience. But a lot of it is written from the position of HR technology Mm. and the perspective that the only way you improve employee experience is to buy the next piece of cool West Coast HR technology (laughs) to solve the employee experience. And a lot of the analysts in the HR tech industry are advocating to CHROs: you're going to have to get used to buying a lot more technology now. Mm. Um, You know, so we're going back to almost like a cloudified best of breed world Uh, from where we were 10 years ago. And of course, I look at that and I have a fundamental question over it because when people come to work every day, what do they go do? They go work in the ERP, you know, Mm. particularly in people-based businesses. They, in a project, they're allocating resources, they're tracking time, you know, they're trying to find the next talent. They're looking at the contract. What's the next milestone? What's the rev That's what people do day to day. So how do you build employee experience, you know, if you've got your grandfather's ERP and, (laughs) you know, sexy West Coast HR technology? I don't think it changes the people experience. Hmm. So I believe that the key to true employee experience, you know, changing is you've got to change the ERP. Hmm. And you've got to have ERP, which embodies that type of engagement and that type of user experience Um, which you've seen happen in in the HCM world, that's got to happen in the core ERP side. And it's part of the reason we are so focused on, you know, the manualist type of ERP environment where, you know, we strongly believe nobody's going to log into anything anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to be prompted that, hey, this resource needs a review or this person's coming off the project. They need to be placed. Click, go look at something. So it's all gonna be conversational type interaction, which is you know where we see ERP going. Now, of course, there's a whole industry uh, of companies. And it's always interesting from my investor hat when I look at startups, I always have this fundamental question, have you built a real mousetrap? Hmm. Or have you built something which compensates for in the inadequacies of all the grandfather ERPs in the marketplace? And there's a whole industry out there of companies who build stuff to compensate for the inadequacies of grandfather's ERP. But I think that will all change, you know, with players like ourselves, with other players in the market, um, that's going to change over time.
1: So hey, what's really interesting here, Mike, is is also that collapse in verticals, right? I mean, you are seeing like verticals and nonprofit or education and other folks are coming together. The notion of a vertical doesn't really exist anymore in some cases. So not only have collapsed the ability to navigate with conversational UX, you start, right? There's no nav. You start and you work your way around everything. Um, You're also collapsing how verticals work with each other. Tell us a little bit more about that. And we're almost out of time, so just, you know. Yeah, well,
2: very quickly. Look, I think verticals um, are becoming, these are horizontalization happening across the verticals, to to use a bad expression. <laughs> but I think what is still going to be unique in verticals is that every vertical has, you know, I would say the back office is becoming very common and the commonality is huge in the back office. But every vertical still has, and this is what we see and where we, where we see uniqueness. Um, a handful of quirky things in the middle office, you know, whether you are not for profit, your big thing you got to do is grant integrity. If you are higher education, student management and revenue management, if you're local government, it's all about revenue collection and revenue. Yep. If you are a consultant, it's all about PSA. Um you know if you're an architect it's about moving all those damn drawings around and, and getting the versioning right and everything so there are two three four sometimes a little bit more killer problems which the middle office always has to solve and if you are purely solving the back office then you are just a finance or you know a finance and accounting system what we're trying to do is really solve those killer problems in each of the middle offices and that's why the verticalization piece is actually still quite
1: important for that specific reason. Wow, this is awesome. We are here live with Mike Etling, Chief Executive Officer at Unit 4. You, you can follow him on Twitter at M I K E E T T L I N G. He's the CEO and he's also a Liverpool supporter for those falling out there. So anyways, (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot for being out here.
0: (laughs) Red Sox ownership, I love it,
1: yeah. (laughs) All right, well, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. And wow, um, we're seeing these big shifts in ERP going on. It's actually um, one of the things that we've been writing about. We got market overviews, offering overviews, talking about that, but who do we have next? We're gonna talk about another top CIO issue.
0: So. Absolutely. Uh, it's our privilege to, ha- a privilege to have Patty Hatter, Senior Vice President, Global Customer Service at Palo Alto Networks. Patty has overall responsibilities for customer service and security and software platforms across all of Palo Alto. She has more than 25 years of experience at companies like McAfee, Intel, Cisco, AT&T, masterfully driving transformation. Patty has had multiple advisory board positions. She's currently a board member at Loop Cloud. You can follow Patty on Twitter at P-A-T-T-Y-H-A-T-T-E-R. Welcome, Patty,
3: to Disrupt TV. Thank you very much. Great to see you again. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: Hey, thanks a lot. You are at one of the most interesting companies that are doing transformation at a cybersecurity level, but you know, you've know, yeah. you been a leader. You've been an agent of change, a game changer, right? The queen of transformation at innovation. We've <laughs> <laughs> um, seen this in all these different types of interviews. Uh, I love that. This is, this is huge, right? Business transformation is one of the hardest things for people to do, but what exactly is it about you that makes you masterful at transformation?
3: Well, I can say what I bring to the table. I'll leave the masterful comment alone, but (laughs) one of the things I really encourage people to do, because I know I've loved this throughout my career and I encourage others to do it is take different roles in very different parts of the business. And when I look back and say, you know, how does that enable me to drive transformation in different companies or see things a different way? I really believe that it's it's just the background that I've had of mm. having sales with customers and, and really trying to drive that quarterly view, driving internal um, operational transformations within companies, having a CIO role, which is, the best job to have used to have had because um, it's tough in the middle but you learn so much and then multiple pnl roles so i've 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 been in the seat of most folks at the the leadership level and and from my point of view that helps me kind of relate to what everybody needs to do. Because my view and what I tell folks all the time is if you're trying to drive a really big change, something that the company's really going to feel, that the customers are really going to feel, it has to be something that spans multiple organizations, mm. spans across the across the company. And the more you can relate to, put yourself in the shoes of of your peers across the across the company, the more you're, you'll really be able to drive something that the, your customers and your own internal profitability, you're really moving the needle.
0: Absolutely. Let's dig in a little bit into that because um, you know, change is hard. Um, <laughs> and digital business transformation is, 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 is really hard and, and it's scary. Uh, people are worried about their jobs, People are worried about learning new skills, learning new technology. How do you build consensus with my peers in sales, service, marketing, IT? Yeah. So you know, when 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 uh, one of your employees comes to your office and says, "Patty, I'm I'm scared. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if I'm the right person for this role in terms of helping our company change." What type of conversations do you have? How do you begin knowing that you know the person? maybe accepting of change, but really is fearful of whether they're the, you know, they, they, they can achieve success.
3: That is such a, a, a great point, because I really think one of the things that holds companies back, holds individuals back from from being willing to do something different, come in on a Monday and do something different, is they're just personally scared. Yeah. And, you know, what does it mean for me? Can I do this? And one of the things I think it's, it's so important for leaders at at any level in an organization is be as transparent as possible with with what you're trying to do bring the organization along because a lot of the fear comes from people not understanding why why are we talking about changing you know my job's good i'm good i know what i'm doing in you know in this uh, cube every day um, so unless people really feel the, the reason to change, the motivation to change, how it's better for the company, but also there's a, a pony in it for them, it's, it's really hard to get something going. So one is paint the picture, communicate that every day. And my rule of thumb is you can never over communicate. You can never, ever over communicate even if you think you're saying the same thing every day say it again double up because ha- having your whole organization know that you're consistently driving through something and that your your voice is consistent you're not changing strategy which will potentially leave them sort of out in a lurch really important so the the messaging very important the other thing is be be visible with your team and take any, you know, why are people afraid? They don't want to get harmed in any big change. So you want to make sure that your leadership team knows, hey, you know, the pointy end of the stick is here, the, the buck stops here, and that you have their back. You really have their back. And, you know, it's interesting The the more the quicker you can show that within an organization, when you, you know, first come in and starting to to drive things in a different way, the, the sooner your your team really can believe, hey, you're there with them, you have their back, you're not leaving anybody else, anybody out to drive. That's so important. And I think that's something where, you know, a lot of leaders just get, you get stuck in the day-to-day, you're worrying about the details of something, and, and you kind of forget about, or and don't pay enough attention about the, the human aspect of it. Because in the end, it's it's people you need to motivate to do something different each day.
1: Absolutely. You know, and, and
0: before you ask, it's, it's Seth Godin said, people are not afraid of failure, they're afraid of blame. And I think <laughs> it's so important to have empathetic leaders. So what you just said, I think is beautiful, and it's so important for the leaders listening to the show. You really have to care about the people and your yes. goal is to career path them, create new leaders, inspire and educate them, and communicate your intent. Because, you know, if you want that culture of experimentation, an innovative culture, beginner's mindset, you know, you need to provide that safety. So people can be creative, can experiment. So I thought that was brilliant, brilliant feedback. Thank you. Sorry, Ray. Go ahead.
1: Oh no, no. We just got a question live from the audience, and and it was really about you know what what's the difference as uh, for males or females? Is there a difference in a way? East Coast, West Coast? You're a global <laughs> person. Does it differ in America you know. versus
3: Japan, right, <laughs> you know, or Europe? You know, it, it's uh, it's it's interesting you ask because there is every every corporate culture has a very different vibe. Even if you're in a similar technology space, you go from one company to another, very different vibe east coast west coast very very different vibe when i moved when i moved to california i had always sort of been based on the east coast and i was based in europe for 6 years and that's a whole other different thing but the biggest corporate cultural difference i thought between you know headquartered companies in in europe headquartered companies on the east coast was when i came out to Silicon Valley. I actually, there was a month when I first got here. I thought, "Oh my gosh, what did I do? This is crazy." Um, it's it's just a different cadence of things. And Val, I know you know what I uh, am referring to. Um, but once you get here and get in the swing of things, I can't imagine being anywhere else. But you have to, you have to really listen to the signals in in the corporate culture and like what worked in one place isn't going to cut and paste exactly into another organization and and i know our leaders know that but sometimes it's good to be reminded because every company has its its cadence its energy its dna of what made it great to get to that point and then how do you get everybody to realize we can't just keep doing the stuff that made us great in the past or we're not gonna be great going forward. So it's it's, it's finding that secret sauce going forward.
1: Oh, it's a great point, right? There's something we've been writing about, talking about the life cycle for organizations, right? You know, when you start a company, you build a great, well, you have a great mission and purpose, right? And you get all excited about it, right? Then you break, bring the best team you have, which is really the only people that you know that you can convince to come join you, right? So then you bring them together, right? And then you go out and you build the best offering, right? You get something out, the minimum viable product offering, you get it out there and people get excited about that, right? And then you go out and you target markets, right? And and that part is a very, very different part of growth, right? A very, very different type of people that get there. And then just as about you're trying to go public, right? All these people show up, right? And the, no knock on MBA, <laughs> but then MBA show up and suddenly you're like in there, you're like, wait, I, I, I got to fill out an expense report? Can I just tell Joe I went there? right? Or, hey, there's this rule that I have to actually file to do this, to go somewhere. Like, what, what is all this, right? And so this clash of culture shows up and then you go public and then all you care about is EBITDA right? You get to this extreme EBITDA, right? It's like, you know, uh, what's our profit per employee? Uh, what's our, you know, cost to acquire <laughs> revenue, right? And it's cash and ARPU and like suddenly like, and suddenly you forget what you're doing, right? And, and every company does go through that. And I yeah. think it's, it's, it's great that yeah. you're highlighting that. So.
3: Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we're, we're kind of in that phase from a Palo Alto Networks perspective, because we've gone from, you know, huge, high, sustained, massive growth in, the next-gen firewall space, and all of a sudden, we we really have an opportunity to be the platform play from a cybersecurity perspective. And you know, I've been around this space long enough to know m- multiple companies have tried and not gotten to that you know up to that point. It's very hard. Um, but I think the 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 thing that I find really interesting is getting that balance putting in new DNA and super successful DNA. So we have yeah. you know, continued super successful from a hardware next gen firewall perspective, but that same um, ability to grow and synthesize across in the hosted and SaaS capabilities that we're sending out now. So I think enterprise is needed. I think we have a, such an opportunity and and from our global customer services organization, we're just in the center of that transformation, which I find just fascinating. Because I think yeah, hey, en- enterprises really need somebody that they can, somebody, some company that they can point to from a cybersecurity space. Because it's it's not getting easier in this industry. Sure. It's, it's, it's not getting less complicated and the bad guys are speeding up.
0: The, oh, yeah, The most rewarding part of my career, I mean, 10 years running global enterprise customer service is such a great place to help not only transform but build advocacy and build uh, you know um, stakeholder success. And you give advice in terms of adaptability, East Coast, West Coast <laughs> companies within the same. I
3: <laughs> grew up on the East Coast, though. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm from Pittsburgh, so go steel You know. Um, <laughs> adapt that.
0: Uh, a Thinkers Fifty global management influencer, Whitney Johnson, best-selling author of several books last one, disrupt yourself and how to build a team. And she talked about it's people that disrupt, not companies. So if you have the right right mindset, if you can learn, unlearn, relearn and change yourself, that's a superpower. And you have a reputation of putting yourself full into challenges, certainly learning, relearning, changing yourself and then changing your organization, your company. Give advice to people on how do you build that muscle, that adaptability muscle that you talked about so that you know you can have that beginner's mindset and be able to pivot when it makes uh, sense to do so
3: right that so the understand multiple pieces do not allow yourself to get in a career mode that is just in one line because I, I think your ability to drive change to understand where you can um, really drive improvements for the company, drive improvements for your customer are, are far more limited. If you mm-hmm. only see life from one function, you've only been internal or you've only been sales or you've only been IT. Broaden your experience as much as you can. Uh, it's, it, I, I really encourage folks to to uh, do that. The other point since you mentioned this because I think this is a hard, hard lesson for folks the life cycle my view the life cycle of change in a company is like um you know carbon decay numbers so uh, it's getting shorter so like isotope help exactly exactly if companies went in on a four or five year cycle of okay every four or five years we need to drive a big transformation this part of the business or overall that is below three years now so it's likely if you're a leader you you are we're driving one side of a you know in one cycle and you're going to have to tear up big swaths of what you yourself put in place and what you yourself were known as okay we were really successful with this and i mean i'm pretty good with with change but i even find that hard and i think the more leaders themselves are comfortable with Hey, yes, I might have put in this program or I, you know, created this team and that was great and we got tons of kudos, yay, yay. <laughs> but nothing lasts forever. <laughs> and the cycle with which a good idea remains a good idea is is shortening yeah. every day. You know, speed and, of
1: execution. Speed of right. execution is this is defining the winners and losers right now.
3: And right can, the, the speed deal. and then the willingness to tear up your own good ideas i think human nature that's that's hard for us but that's something that leaders really need to exercise that muscle more than we have in the past
1: it is, it is painful it is painful hey let's talk about real quick and i you know you're in the midst of it you, you talk to the customers about all this stuff what's going on in cybersecurity, right <laughs> i mean what are i mean it is a it is it is a fast-paced it's ever changing. The the bad guys are getting faster. The good guys are trying to catch up. Like, are, are the good guys ever going to win? <laughs>
3: um, you know, it's the. This is one of the 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 reasons why I think the cybersecurity space is so interesting because there isn't another part of IT that is fighting back at you every day. You know, so it's fascinating. It's it's a little exhausting sometimes, but you. I think the, the the drive for let's just get a bunch of best in breed, it made sense why the industry had been there over the past few years. That's great. Nobody had really pulled together. No company had yet pulled together a platform. So all people could do was best in breed. And frankly, a lot of CISOs and CIOs were happy just to be able to tell their boards, hey, I'm, uh, <laughs> I bought these capabilities. Uh, can't implement it. Can't figure out how. Can't do well, all. But the I hit every checkbox. I hit every right, checkbox. Right. Come on, it was great. And, I mean. You know, so it's. I, I think it's coming on on from a couple different pieces. So, folks are realizing that just saying I bought this stuff is not viable. That we really have to get out of the mode within the cybersecurity space just having shelfware is not a good idea. So I think that's incumbent on us from an industry perspective to really focus on how do we make this as new capabilities as easy as possible to deploy and really break through that platform play as opposed to sort of forcing CISOs and CIOs just to keep buying best in breed. Nobody wants to spend their day buying all those pieces because it is impossible to get value out of that. But that that's the opportunity for, you know, Palo Alto and whatever other vendor can can get there to pull those pieces together. And then from a tops down perspective, cause I've been on at this point, three public company boards. I'm currently on the, the board for two six, which is a, a public company in the optical networking space. Yep. And what I see on the public company boards is they are getting more interested and in, in it, and more savvy to ask the questions within their digital teams of where really are we? Where are our risks? What have we done? What, you know, where do we think we need to continue to improve? So I think there's an industry element, we need to, to do a better job and from a Palo Alto Networks perspective, we are, you know, hell bent on getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, from a, a CISO CIO perspective, Folks want to not have to buy all these individual pieces because they know the value isn't there. And then we really need to to work as an industry, educating our our boards on down into the the CEOs of our enterprises of what are the questions? How do you think about this? Because one of the things I see within uh, a lot of very large companies is, at that board level, people don't know what questions to ask. So nobody wants to look foolish. So then nothing gets asked. Yeah. So the more we can get technology savvy leaders into those board positions, yes. that is really, it's, it sounds funny and like super tactical, but that is actually gonna be really helpful in, in securing more and more enterprises because then you have people that are able and willing to ask the questions to the folks that are pulling those levers within enterprises. So I think we have, you know, bottoms up, bottoms up internal to enterprises and industry challenge that we're tackling and then tops down, we can make changes and, and get more. I'm a huge advocate of getting more technology savvy folks on public company boards because I really think that'll help. Oh my God, it's
1: horrible,
3: <laughs> It's horrible.
1: We need more people there as well as well as well as what you're doing to get women out there as well. So, Absolutely. hey, we are here with Patty Hatter, the queen of security customer service on with global experiences. She's the SVP Global Customer Service at Palo Alto Networks, also on the board of Qualys26 and WoodCloud, I think, if I remember. So, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much experience. for being on the show. Thanks for spending great Friday here with us. With you guys.
0: You're terrific, so, thank you
1: so much. Great advice. Happy Friday.
0: Yes. Great advice. And for, for someone like you and I, Ray, coming back from CES, where anything is and everything is connected, uh, and we know security is a boardroom discussion, but so is customer experience. So that balance of free flowing, everything is open, everyone's got access, and everyone's in motion, and then security, that's, uh, that's gonna challenge enterprises for many years to come. Okay, uh, speaking of enlightening and inspiring and educating, we have our first ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee as our next guest, Larry Dignan, who is the editor in chief, global editor-in-chief of ZDNet, Smart Planet, as as well as the editorial director of ZDNet's sister site, TechRepublic. Larry has covered the technology and financial services industry since 1995. He's one of our most technology and business savvy guests, one of our favorite guests uh, on Disrupt TV. You can follow Larry on Twitter and all his prolific blogs, uh, weekly contributor at LDIGNAN. Welcome, Larry. Welcome back to, and happy new year. Welcome back to Disrupt TV. Good to be here. Happy new year. (laughs) <laughs> great. To, great to, when when is it officially? Uh, when do we stop saying Happy New Year? I just want to make sure that is it all of January and then we. Stop? As soon as that aura goes from your back of your head,
4: I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm talking to some deity here. It's just like you're so godlike. It's crazy. <laughs> that are like the god of techno- technological evangelism. <laughs>
1: just so I think, I think it happens when you don't know i don't know, I don't even know how to do it with
0: that i that I'm glad, i was wondering if anybody noticed it all right cool <laughs> well,
1: only when the christmas tree comes down that's when that's yeah. what that's when he that's there, we there, we <laughs> there we go so but hey what's okay what's hot cs right we kick off the year it's always cs um so <laughs> the question for you i, I just want to get your overall take just starting off the bat like what impressed you what what, what hit you first <sighs>
4: I'll be honest with you. I didn't see a whole lot of, I didn't see a whole much of anything.
1: Um, (laughs) All right, good. Let's talk to the next topic. (laughs) I I
4: saw some green shoots, right? Let's put it that way. Um, Well, okay. First, the CES disclaimer 75% of what you see at CES ain't going to happen, right? So let's just get that out of the way. (laughs) So you're kind of looking at concepts and things like that. So the most plausible thing I saw was the foldable laptops those looked they look legit they look pretty cool Um, I think the thing that stuck out for me is you know Lenovo is sort of they're kind of ahead of the pack here Mm. Um, you know now their foldable laptops not launching till I think it's summer-ish or actually it's like mid-year June early summer Um, so but it's, it's like a real thing. And I don't know if I'd run out and buy one for 2500 but I do think I can wrap my head around spending that money on a laptop way more than I can, you know, some quasi-tablet that might be a phone that might be something different. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And, you know, when, when you think about it and the Lenovo part of the equation, what's, you know, it, it just highlights the core competency of Lenovo, which is sort of the hinges and doing this a million thousand
1: times Um, (laughs) sometimes they break on phones i heard you know
4: (laughs) yeah well it also struck me with the motorola unit right like they came out with that razor and and it folds and you know the thing that captures your you know your imagination is kind of the hinge like it looks more durable it seems more durable i mean we'll find out for sure in the future but so so that was the most concrete thing that came out of it um what I thought was most interesting, yet I don't quite wrap my head around the buzz, was that neon thing that came out from Samsung Labs. Yeah, yeah. And why that was interesting to me is the way they did it. Like, like they were able to render something that looked pretty human, or basically mm-hmm. damn near human. Um, now. It could show empathy things like that and i think that's a big deal i do not think neon's going to amount to a whole lot because i think all the money going to be in the brains hmm. so this thing will be powered you know whatever this artificial human will be it'll be powered by aws google microsoft whatever um i'm pretty sure after using bixby a few times that it won't be samsung
1: um. <laughs> you know the um, the uh, the the neural nets that were behind this. I had a chance to talk to Parav, and and it was interesting, right? The, the technology behind it, right? Just to be able to like move a facial feature or an eyebrow or a twitch, right? I mean, they had gotten the personalities down that no single neon is the same, right? And the deep right. learning network, deep neural networks are there. But your point is like, yeah, you're, you're not gonna have the compute power, right?
4: Well, I, I do think, and what, but what's really interesting to me is more that that front end replication of a human Um, because, you know, we've all heard about digital workers. It's, it's the, you know, it's, it's the robotics process automation. It's automating a bunch of stuff. It's got a little augmented reality in there with your avatars and all that. But I think the reality is we're not going to interface with avatar. Like I I don't want to go to a meeting with a cartoon character. I just don't, right. I'm not putting on these dopey goggles and, talk to somebody, talk to my avatar, like, give me a break. (laughs) But Neon, what, what, so the importance to me with Neon is they presented what could be a front end of the digital workforce. Yes. So these could be customer service people in the field and the retail on a cruise ship. Um, you know, the the actual processes behind it, all that needs to be worked out. But what what was interesting to me from Neon was really that front end of, um, it was the front end of what will be the digital workforce, right? Right, right mm-hmm. now the digital workforce is, it's code, it's just nuking jobs in the background and yeah, whatever, right? It's, it's like, it's in the ERP weeds for the most part. Um, vitally important. But it's, it's something we can't wrap our heads around. But so that's that's why neon I thought was very interesting. Um, but it's more from a front end thing, right? It's it's almost like it's almost like the web before it got UI, right? Yeah. You're kind of like, okay, I get it. Um, so that was the importance of that. I mean, whether neon's successful, got me. I have no idea. I think, the, um, I, think
0: the, I think the point of distinction you made in your post, you wrote neon isn't a next gen digital. Assistant, but more of a digital twin with its own personality over time. Neons, artificial humans are more like video chatbots that can learn from experiences and be unique. And that sense and response based on Ray's conversation with some of the representatives, it's at a speed of a blink. You're talking milliseconds. 20
1: milliseconds. 20 milliseconds.
0: In order for you to sense and respond and change your, you know, facial expressions and do that. So perhaps humanizing things like chatbot and customer service, we had our SVP of services of our previous guest with Patty, maybe it'll make folks on the front end more comfortable engaging with, you know, digital service experts uh, who can, you know. Well, yeah, I I think people are getting more comfortable with it now anyway.
4: Yeah, you're right. right. I mean, the chatbots as a customer service channel is pretty big. Um, I mean, I, and I've, you know, there've been surveys towards the tail end of last year showing that, you know, humans would rather report to AI than humans, <laughs> which I get. <laughs> right? it, it's, it's the same rationale as why people like animals over humans. Right. Pets are fun. <laughs> humans suck. I get it. Um, <laughs> also agree. The I think we're kind of, you know, that, that's the road we're going down. And that's why neon, I thought was interesting. Well, that's great. But what about the Sony car?
1: That was interesting. We know they're never going to produce it, but the fact that they put a mock-up car ready to go, it got a lot of attention, and they snuck it at the end of the press conference. Well,
4: I mean, the best thing here is, I mean, unless you're deep into camera sensor technology or you're a PlayStation fan, when's the last time you really talked about Sony? Um, <laughs> so that's huge. The other thing to think about here is, and, and this is what always gets me a little skeptical of Tesla, is it's basically a big smartphone. Right? It's a big it battery. The most
0: valuable car company in the world. Right. right.
4: It's a big battery, it's yeah. a shell, and <laughs> yeah, it could be done by others, right? Maybe not today, but you sort of look at it and you go, well, why couldn't Sony make one?
1: Well, remember the rumors of the Apple car, right?
4: I mean, right. Why you know. couldn't Apple do it? Why? I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, you kind of ask that question. Like, I mean, whether it's that truck company, you know, Amazon sort of an investor in Rivian.
1: Rivian. Um,
4: you know, you, you kind of, I don't know. I mean, there's a barrier to entry from a supply chain, you know, battery, that kind of stuff, software perspective. Um, but, you know, why, why not Sony? Why yeah. not anybody? Right, I mean, I think I think it can be done. So, so I, I didn't view the Sony thing as totally. I didn't view it as crazy as I thought I would. <laughs> because when you look at it, you're like, oh, I kind of get it. Maybe Sharp Electronics does it. Maybe, you know, why not? So, it it didn't seem it didn't seem like crazy wacky to me. Although it was good, you know, it was definitely trending and very interesting. But I.
0: I think we're probably going to
4: see a lot more of that down the line.
0: What what about the 175 acre smart city by Toyota? What were your thoughts about the woven city?
1: Woven city. (laughs) That was
4: (laughs) well. It was it was interesting because the Toyota press conference happens, and you know you're kind of watching. You're like, all right, this is wacky ish, Yeah. kind of feasible. And then a half hour later, the Hyundai thing came out where they're talking like air taxis and and these weird little, yeah, the whole pod (laughs) thing. And everybody's moving around and basically, you know, what's a bedroom or whatever they're doing. Um, And when I saw the Hyundai thing, I'm like, oh.
0: million, you can go from Manhattan to JFK now in the air, right? Yeah,
4: I mean, when I look at Hyundai's mock-up, which basically is all it is, Toyota's thing did not look crazy at all. Like it's like, hey, let's move there. Right? I mean, they got Epcot
1: 2040. Epcot 2040 is ready to go.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Toyota's breaking ground in 2021, yeah. and you know, the actual transportation part, the hydrogen cells, all this stuff, they they kind of have laying around. Yeah. So that one, that was almost like, hey, let's go visit this thing, and. But you know, if you saw the Hyundai thing, you were like, "Okay, this is, this is a little wacky, right?" I mean, you might we're going to retire. Media, we're going to retire in
1: Japan next to Mount Fuji in the Carlos Gone room. It'd that's be awesome. the
0: best place to build a smart city. <laughs> exactly. That, that in your blog. That is the best place if you're going to start.
4: Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it, it didn't seem totally crazy to me. I, I think what was interesting though is that uh, the Hyundai Toyota talks. They actually brought Smart City back to the fore. Yeah. Yes. Because, um, let I mean, let's face it, two years ago, three years ago, we were all talking smart cities and then it kind of fell off a cliff. Um, just is, it not, because,
0: is it because we need 5G to be more real before you can really get into smart city promise?
4: I think it's 5G, it's IoT, and yeah. let's face it, governments are messes. Um, so... <laughs> The reality is that if you're going to get a true smart city and you're actually going to do something sustainable and <laughs> you basically need to raise your city and start over. Um,
0: <laughs> that's why, why
4: Toyota's thing does not sound that crazy to me.
1: Yeah, yeah we're, we're on a toxic Toyota landfill York. formal manufacturing plant. We won't tell anybody that. We just raise this puppy and start from scratch. <laughs> right.
4: I mean, I think that, that's sort of, you know, I mean, look at look at things like, you know, just that legacy transition to cloud, yeah. right? The companies that have it best, they're almost the people that are still running like SAP from, you know, 20 years ago and then they cut over to the cloud because yeah. it's already too old and beat up, right? So, so that sort of greenfield approach, yeah. I, I think makes sense. Um, but yeah, 5G is an issue, IoTs an issue, you know, funding's an issue. Um, you know, the smart city stuff, it, it's real in spots, but not a lot. and and my guess is it's not happening in america first anyway that was a
0: lot of infrastructure costs definitely definitely i mean
4: this is is somewhere you need a command and control sort of economy so i'd expect china to be you know they'll have a smart city you know korea's got a smaller footprint they can pull it off you know i i think you need a lot more density to make it happen and you need stuff that's more new right
0: And Ray, you saw when we were in the convention area, there was a lot of discussion around edge computing, certainly a lot of discussion about 5G, more so than the previous year. So people are starting to you know, talk about anything that can connect will connect. So you do need to have computing power close as possible so so you don't know any any thoughts on that ray or or, or well hey you know
1: we 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 were at we were (laughs) we were at that event where we saw the t-mobile ad on 6g or 5g or whatever that was with the little (laughs) (laughs) sticker (laughs) it was actually a lot of marketing
0: but more definitely more vendors are speaking through it and trying to there were more
1: vendors yeah, there we're more vendors talking about that. But, uh, you know, no, we we were definitely seeing a lot more of that. I mean, 5g is closer than ever, right? We've been hearing this for the last 10 years. So I don't, I don't know. But let's talk about impossible pork.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was I was kind of looking at our dashboards across CBS interactive and that's a thing that was trending more than anything. <laughs>
1: See, I, mean, I was there. We had the, we. I saw the launch. We had this the shumai. We had like you know. We I mean we had like you know, the banh mi sandwich. Oh, I see. Like you me, and Brian me,
0: Solis, I saw <laughs> you guys. We're it. eating
1: this stuff. I mean, it actually tastes like pork, and you know, wow. I, I had a friend there that was um, that never had pork before. Like, I have no idea what it's supposed to taste like, but it tastes good. I mean, so they were in. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and, and he's a vegetarian, so he's like, this is great.
4: Yeah, that that was the thing that sort of captured the imagination, which kind of tells you all you need to know about CES. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's just misnamed now, right? Like it's it's not the Consumer Electronics Show. It's it's a car show. It's a sex toy show. It's a food show. It's it's just everything except the actual consumer electronic stuff. And
0: so yesterday was the 13 year anniversary of Steve Jobs revealing the iPhone and you wrote a post that app store revenue targeting fiscal 2020 north of 50 billion. Thoughts about that a non-CES comment but obviously this guy really, you know, revolutionized bring your own device to work 13 years ago. So
4: um, it's, 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 is a great services business. Yeah. And, you know, in a few years, it'll probably double. Yeah. And, and I think what you get at is, you know, I think what they're trying to get to is where the hardware cycle doesn't matter as much. Yeah. Now I think they're going to have a massive hardware cycle real soon. Um, you know, the new iPhones, if they're 5g, look out, like there'll be upgrades <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. So even iPhone 11, I think selling well. So yeah. I mean, and
0: it's only 11% of the smartphone market. So it's, it's. Yeah, and, and
4: and there's a lot of services to bundle there, right? Like, I mean, I, I really don't do the gaming thing at all, but Apple arcade was 499 So what the hell?
1: Um, <laughs> it's fun, actually. You know, I mean, yeah, there was well, 900 million I, I, iPhone users and $350 million on the upgrade cycle for 5G on the 12th. Oh, I mean, those are huge yeah. numbers. Right? It's going
4: to be massive. And, and all that's just going to sell services, right? So yeah. I think, and, and Apple's going to be able to bundle that stuff in a way that, you know, they don't necessarily need to make a profit. They just need to keep people in the, in the ecosystem, right? And as long as all that holds together, I think it's going to be, you know, it's, the boom's going to continue for services for sure. Um, you know, and then you layer an Apple watch and you layer in AirPods and all that kind of stuff. Like guy, it's a hundred
1: dollars a month.
4: It's a hundred dollars a month. Right.
0: Yeah. 1.3 trillion market cap company. Just imagine. Wow. It's, it's Yeah. It's I amazing. mean, I do wonder
4: part. what happens in a downturn though. Like, I mean, if you look at there, there is a subscription, like shock that happens sometimes Yeah. when you actually look at your budget, you're like, I'm paying for what? Huh? <laughs> like, it's but that inertia is powerful that's why that's why that old model works
1: well it is it is amazing we are here with larry ding and one of the top top watchers on tech you know editor in chief at zd net and extraordinaire in terms of calling it and so you're last on august 2nd episode 157 and hey what a great way to ring in the new decade with you so thanks a lot for being on the show thank you larry yeah. you're amazing
0: <laughs> one of our favorite guests hands down um uh, Uh, And anytime you and I are out of pocket, uh, probably an amazing co-host for Disrupt. So, Larry's amazing.
1: We have got to get him on as a co-host. But hey,
0: (laughs) episode 174! Holy... Wow, I can't say that. Holy! Anyway, (laughs) it's
1: amazing we actually have 174. We're We're
0: close (laughs) to 400 unique guests on Disrupt TV, which is pretty incredible. This is now our, you know, uh, know, 2016, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, we're... Soon will be four-year with with this show, which is amazing. So, next week, um, we're going to have Grant Kahn, CMO at Sprinkler as our guest. We're going to have Dr. Wayne Baker, author of All You Have to Do Is Ask How to Master the Most Important Skill for Success. Tune in for that. And of course, one of our other uh, favorite, all-time favorite, uh, Heather Clancy, Editorial Director, Green Biz Group, and also a best-selling author of Niche Down, a great book uh, that she co-authored. So amazing show next, next week, Ray. Both you and I are gonna be in New York next week at NRF, largest retail conference in the US, where we're gonna you know, hopefully learn from some of the best and brightest in the retail industry. Closing remarks from you, my friend.
1: Hey, this is amazing. Uh, welcome everybody to the new decade. It's gonna be pretty cool. There's a post I wrote about what's happening in this decade? seven important trends, check it out at mm-hmm. constellationr.com or raywang.org, And more importantly, um, check out the Disrupt TV page, catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you wanna catch a podcast. Uh, and of course, apparently 20 some AM radio stations, FM radio stations around the country, coast to coast. So we'll find out more about that. We'll tell, we'll tell you more about that as we figure out what's going on there as well. So, But hey, right. thanks a lot. Bala, any last words on your end?
0: If it's Friday, it's disruptive. We're looking to start this decade every Friday live with Ray, myself, and three of the smartest people we know. And by the way, if you know smart guests—people that are, you know, startup founders, CXOs, best-selling authors, anybody who's got a great story that can help our audience learn and grow—please suggest to our producer Aubrey Coggins and our Ray and myself, and uh, we'll try to fit them in for the next 50 weeks of 2020. We'll see you next Friday. Thanks, everyone.
1: Bye. Bye, Rick.